Welcome to episode 15 of the No Greater Joy podcast, brought to you by the pastors at Grace Baptist Church in Westlake, Ohio, who we want for our people what Jesus wants for his people. And uh, Jesus tells us in John 15, 11, that he wants his joy to be in us and our joy to be full. And so we want for our people no greater joy and are convinced that there is no greater joy than when God's people step into the areas of being 24-7 worshipers, alongsiders, and go people. So my name is Steve Strong, lead pastor here at Grace. I have to my left once again... Ryan Atkins, serving in the Timothy position. Across the table from me... Andreas Bailey, associate pastor. And one of our members, Dan Kraniak, is making us sound beautiful. Appreciate his time and effort in making this possible and then getting it out on the web for the billions of people to hear and uh, hopefully be a benefit to them. And once again, we have uh, a special guest, Mr. Andrew Giesman, affectionately known as Andy, who is uh, with uh, Edison's Walk Institute. Walk, right? Yes. And um, appreciate your time. Previous episode, glad to have you back. Great to be back. It's really good to have you. Um, but we're glad you're gonna have a great ministry this week with our church. So, um, want to deal with a topic, um, individualism, and want to really just kind of answer four questions. And I think uh, it's really something that our people need to be thinking about and considering because we are, in a way, maybe in that boiling pot of our culture where this is really starting to heat up and take root, and we need to think correctly about this. Um, and so four questions that I want to consider. First of all, what is individualism? And uh, within our culture, what's going on? What do we mean by this? How has individualism uh, changed or altered the function of society's institutions, including the church, how has this individualism creeped into the church and the way we think about church and ministry? And then what is Scripture's uh, teaching? It's what has God given us, the alternate teaching that we believe would be sufficient um, over against individualism. In a lot of ways, it's uh, having a correct anthropology, how we think of a human being, what does the Bible teach us about ourselves. So, Andy, I'm going to let you maybe start working uh, toward an answer of this first question, what is individualism? And um, I'll let you run with that, and then we can kind of follow up with some questions and, and sure. thoughts. So, Well, I think there's a couple different ways to think about <clears throat> that word, and one of them is positive. There's, there's certainly a sense of individualism in terms of personal responsibility. Um, I'm responsible to work, I'm responsible to clean up after myself, I'm responsible for my wife and kids and things like that. Um, that's one side of it. Then the other side of, of individualism would be more along the, the lines of what we might call autonomy or something that's totally um, by itself alone um, does not need anything or anyone else. Um, they are, they, that kind of person is the center of their world. They, they are the anchor. Um, 
So we see um, individualism or what I would call radical autonomy, um, how that manifests itself in culture is a, is the idea wherein um, each person, it is assumed, can make up their own minds as to what is good and proper. And the expectation doesn't end there. It, it also would include the demand, really, that each person then affirm their own position, whatever it is. You, you just can't Basically, you can never tell someone they're wrong. That is the ultimate cardinal sin. In, in a culture that is made up of um, autonomous individuals that, that uh, seemingly act like they don't need or want any, anything else in their lives. So there is, <clears throat> I've written down here some of the thoughts, is there the standard for who you are is not outside of you to conform to correct it is really generated manufactured by you that is inside of you that is correct and this is nothing new this has been around for a long time um i'm really uh looking forward to getting into the question what scripture says about this because there's an Mm -hmm. entire book in the new testament that is a frontal assault on on this idea um, but even ancient worldviews like Stoicism or Epicureanism has the individual at the, at the center. And in the ancient world, say in the in the Greek world, there was there was the idea of we us um, the the city state, whether it be Athens or Corinth or Thessaly or, or Sparta. Um, but you do find more radical individualism in democracies like Athens and actually see that was probably why it didn't last that long um, because people always get what they want. Because the, the logic behind this is your value judgments is really your feelings. Yes. Right. And, uh, um, and your well-being. Based on those feelings, your your well being is how you're feeling. That's right. Correct. It, it, and that is indeed logical. If there is no outside or above um, standard, well, then why would you go with anything else other than what you feel? Um, of course, feelings are real, and everyone has them, but. Um, the facts tend not to care. <laughs> and so the greatest sin within an, <clears throat> this kind of framework is for me to deprive you of your well-being, your happiness. Exactly. What right would you have? Yeah. Who are you to tell me? So, I don't know, you guys have questions before we keep going? All right. So... Uh, not yet? Not yet. All right. So um, so to kind of follow this, what, has, what happens to certain institutions within a society? So if the standard for a human being is self-made within themselves, the logic is a, or the way of thinking is, 
an emotivism. It's a feeling. It's a psychological therapeutic type thing. And the greatest sin is to deprive someone from their own determined happiness, right, and well-being. How, that changes the role for institutions. And those institutions could be a school where you are. It could be the home, the relationships, parents, um, government, and a church. So how, how does this way of thinking change the role for those institutions? It weakens them or will radically alter what we might consider the charter or the, the masthead, you know, documents that founded that, that Mm -hmm. thing. So, um, I, I'm a adjunct professor at a large regional, um, Catholic school, uh, on the East coast. And, um, I'm watching the change happen right before my eyes the past two years now, um, we're, we're always being told about diversity, equity, um, and inclusion all the time. And, uh, we are, we are given seminars every which way from Tuesday of how we can facilitate those things in the classroom. And, um, the, the university is changing fundamentally what it is. It's becoming something different. Um, churches are the same way. They, they look the same. Um, they are functionally the same. Um, but if, if we're going to go down this road that says there is no standard, uh, outside of the individual, well then eventually the mission of the church is really going to be irrelevant. And so these, is like a school, for instance, or even a church, whereas however many years ago, the aim was to inform, right? Where here is the content outside of you that you need to understand. Now the role of these institutions is not so much to inform, but to, the keyword I think the, is to affirm. Yes. Right? Yes. Is to, this is who this child is, this is who this person is. Our role is not to change anything about that. It's to provide a place where they can be affirmed. Right. Yep. Um, Dangerous place to be. (laughs) And if you're left, and if you're not affirming, what are you? Wicked. Yep. You are, you are the, you're the white male patriarchy that needs to be deconstructed. Mm Mm-hmm and taken down because you are the man and how dare you stand in a position of authority over, over anyone else. And, and we're seeing this, um, churches, we're seeing this right now. Um, churches are figuratively burning because of this. I, I think driven by this autonomy, this individualism, there are so many people, uh, coming forward saying, well, uh, I was abused. Um, I, I suffered spiritual abuse in my church and uh, come on, does spiritual abuse happen in churches? Yes. Are there abusive pastors? Yes. Is most of the bride of Christ abusive? I think not. Mm -hmm. And so, um, very well could be that some of these individuals who are claiming, well, I was abused. Maybe they just had a pastor that told them, no, (laughs) you can't. 
fill in the blank with some biblical issue. Yep. But but in radical individualism, how dare you do that? Um, and because you're guilty of that greatest sin, right? Now there's this: they need to be censured and silenced, right? And it, we are um, catechized. Our culture has been catechized from birth um, that it is totally up to the individual. The movies, the songs, the TV shows, the everything that's um, available to us tells us y- you you are the center of your world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a book that a good friend of mine suggested I'd never heard of published in uh, 1945. It's called Mount Analog, and it's about the weirdest book I've ever read in my life. And uh, it tells a story of this guy who goes off on an adventure looking for um, a mountain that can be physically climbed at which when you're at the apex, your feet are on the earth, but you can reach up and touch the divine. So the guy that wrote the book, um, that was his goal in life. He was trying to figure out a way to have contact with the divine without God, including huffing chemicals, which led to his premature death. Didn't work out well for him. Um, And so they go on this expedition. So it's somewhat Indiana Jones-esque, but super weird. But the theme all throughout this book over and over and over again is that once we get there, if we get there at all, but they do, if we find this place and we, we we have to get to the top, that it would be morally wrong to follow the path that anyone else has made going before you. Each individual must find their own path to be truly authentic. Authentic. Right. And this this is the theme on nearly every page. And as I read that book, I thought, my, it's really kind of uh, counter to I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. Um, it kind of sounds like a path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it... So where where does this take a culture? You know, because the first thing that comes to my mind is all of a sudden you're, you've placed this weight of deity on every individual and they can't bear that weight. And so where does this take a culture? If If what you have is... Every individual for himself, herself, themselves, itself, I guess is what we have to say. Not really. But, and the weight is on them to define who they are and their happiness and their well-being is the greatest good. Um, And all I can do is affirm. I don't know. Where does that take a culture? Honestly, I'm not sure. I don't know that we've ever observed that before. Mm-hmm. I think we have, in in my mind, I think we have an example, but I'm not sure it's a one-to-one ratio, and that would be ancient Athens. Um, uh, a, a radical autonomy that they kind of collectivized 
in, in the city state with the democracy, but it was basically I or we can make any decision we want and we'll do so. And, and they voted themselves into oblivion and led to war with Sparta and the end of the golden age of Greece. Um, I, I, I think, I think we've had individualism or, you know, this idea of you ain't going to tell me what to do. This has been around for a long time, mm -hmm. but it is becoming epidemic. And I, I just, I don't think we've seen where the results have gone really. My example is really pretty lame, I mm -hmm. think with Athens, but, um, I, I honestly don't see how it can lead to anything good. God have mercy. God have mercy. Um, God have mercy on the church if, if we allow it to infiltrate. Mm -hmm. So that's a good point. So how, how are we seeing this individualism kind of creep into the church? And maybe it's not so creeping anymore, um, depending on the church, but how do we see it creeping? Um, we'll see. Uh, so th this we have plenty of examples of, yeah. unfortunately. Um, it would be an expectation that preaching and teaching is going to help me as as an individual be a better version of be, you. Be a better version of me, um, which isn't entirely untrue, right? Because this depends on how you define me, right? It's how you define <laughs> define me and better and better, yep. and all that kind of stuff. Um, um, Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, Christian talked about this. And he said that as the father of existentialism, because that's what we're dealing with here, this all fits under that category. Um, he said, well, the way to really achieve true authenticity is to hand yourself over to God and he's going to give you back what he wants from you. He, he's right. Um, so but but in contemporary that that was almost 200 year uh -huh. 200 years ago um but in contemporary church life um we want we want teaching that's going to make me a better version of me we're going to um invest ourselves into things that we feel good about as opposed to investing or ourselves in things that are just true and are necessary as laid out in scripture. Mm -hmm. um, you're not going to have um, teaching in churches that's going to address things that are destructive to the mission of the church and to um, individuals and families in the church. We're, we're not even going to go there anymore because again, how dare you? Mm -hmm. It's just spiritual abuse. It's almost, I have written down here, it's like compassion flipped on its head. You know, um, the, so the good Samaritan sees the robbed and destroyed man laying on the side of the road. Mm-hmm and actually cared for the real need as opposed to, well, what did, 
what did how does Jeremiah confront the the priests and the prophets? Peace, peace, when there's no peace. You've healed the wound of my people lightly. Because you know, and so in a sense it's compassion flipped on its head where you're not meeting the real needs of people right. and you're right. saying that there's peace when there is no peace and you just lead people away from Christ as opposed to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Or a weak version yeah. thereof, um, w- which ironically is something that people like Kierkegaard railed against in his in his writings. So I don't want to neglect, I think this last question, um, what is scripture's alternate teaching, which we would believe to be sufficient and greater um, over and against this individualism? I know you, you alluded to this just a minute ago. Um, I don't know, how would you answer that? Well, there's two scriptures that, immediately come to mind. And I already mentioned one, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, John 14, six, you know, that's clearly, um, a path that has been blazed and we are told follow it. Um, and the other that comes to mind is Proverbs three, five, and six, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And, and the ancient, um, in Old Testament economy, the ancient idea there is that your the wheels of your wagon are in the right grooves, mm-hmm. and and God's <laughs> taking you home. And it should be noted, and this will be my my dad joke for the day. Um, there's a difference, a slight difference between being in a groove and being in a rut. <laughs> there's a difference. Um, so the ancients had in mind, I'm in the groove, and and God is taking me home. I I was asked to speak on that very passage at a memorial service for a woman who's 34 and died of cirrhosis of the liver. And she got it, you know, not because of some, you know, genetic thing. She pickled her liver with alcohol at 34. And, and I was asked to give this talk, um, by the woman who died, her sister, who's a member of our church, asked me to give this talk. And there are a bunch of, uh, uh, teenagers that were there in the church and I, I couldn't see them because they were sitting in the back and it was dark. Um, nor could I hear them. But as I was giving this talk, um, apparently a couple of them said, ain't no God going to tell me what to do. Um, well, my friend Naomi, um, asked if she, the, the plan was she was going to give a few words after I was done. I've heard few sermons as fiery as that. And she got up and said, you know, if you want to wind up in a can before your 35th birthday, go ahead and be your own God. Mm-hmm. Um, then, so other than those two passages, uh, the book of the Bible that comes to mind is Philippians, um, which is a frontal assault on both Epicureanism and Stoicism. And we see, um, and you don't need to know that to get anything out of Philippians, by the way, it's just hashtag philosopher nerd. Um, <laughs> but, but it is there. Um, and so just thinking about, well, where is Paul when he's writing this? Death row in Rome. Mm-hmm. He's going to die. And he mentions 
individuals because the the fact of the matter is when you become a Christian, become part of the body of Christ, you do not lose your individuality. Um, God saves individuals, um, but he saves us knowing full well that we are doing this together, that we are dependent in many ways upon one another by God's design. Uh, we are contingent upon those things. And so in Philippians, he's he has this theme that just runs over and over again where he, he's talking about, he, he's addressing um, the church in Philippi. Um, so when he says you, that's plural. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does mention individuals um, in here, but just think of the New Testament as a whole. Is it written to primarily individuals or groups? Groups, right? Primarily. Mm-hmm. We, we have a few examples, but... Um, and, and how, how can we, how could we possibly logically, uh, say, yeah, I, I think this radical individualism is probably the way we should go when you have verses like Philippians one twenty seven. whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, there's a standard mm-hmm. <laughs> that is outside of themselves, outside and above themselves, um, or or Paul um, writing and saying, let, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus in Philippians 2, um, where he says, you know, Jesus um, in verse 6 in chapter 2, um, who being in very nature, or actually the better word there is form, who bearing, being in the very form God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And then he goes on to tell the believers in Philippi, make yourselves nothing. Put um, uh, th- put others ahead of you. All right, well, you can't do that in radical individualism. Nor would a radical individual say in chapter 3, verse 10, this is Paul speaking, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You can't do that and be a radical individual. Um, and then in the and then chapter 4, around verse 11, he says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content, which is a, a full-on roundhouse kick in the face of stoicism. That's why he's saying that. Um, I, I know what it is to have plenty. I, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Um, this is one of my favorite taken out of context verses. I love seeing, I can do all things through him, him who gives me strength on workout gear. Cause clearly Paul means he, he can bench press his own weight and then some, well, if we go back to the beginning and why is he writing this book and why does he say to rejoice? He's going to die. So the thing that he's saying he's going to do well is die. You don't say that um, with a radical individualism. You can only make these statements, unless he's buck nutty crazy, which clearly he is not, 
you can only make these statements um, understanding a, a comprehensive, consistent, and corresponding Christian worldview that it's it's really true. Um, that says no, it, you are not the center of you universe. You are important. You are an individual. God made you as an image bearer. Um, but that is for a purpose. That is not our our design. It's got to be something outside of us. The church <clears throat> really it behooves us to have a. I like the word robust, clear anthropology. I think we yes. need. I think that mm -hmm. is the the area of our doctrine that is of utmost importance. We need to be clear with that, and of course, scriptural, biblical, and we need to stand on that. Agreed. We can't. We can't, uh, we can't cater to our culture, and I think we need to, as a church, not cave and give in because we need to stand ready because we are convinced that this individualism is going to leave uh, the world around us bearing the weight of divinity which they can't bear. It's going to crush, and it will leave them empty, well, and to stand with the the better truth the weight of divinity and its unbearable mass that that's brilliant steve and we have ample examples in history of how that goes bad mm -hmm. when any human tries to act godlike it's bad it, it's kind of the same principle as um utopian societies always a bad idea because whenever you try to establish heaven on earth, you're sure to raise hell every time. <laughs> I made that up myself. We don't have the drums. Yes. Um, we'll play. Um, but, it, but we have ample examples of that. Uh, never works. And when the church, when the church will cater to this, you, you undercut every hope that you offer to the world. You do. When, you, you you offer help, but no hope. But no hope. And it would be worth saying that the obverse is just as bad. Hope with no help. Not true. You need Jesus. I need a cup of water. Yeah, but you need Jesus. Yeah. You can get your own stinking water. There you go. <laughs> we don't want to be that guy. No, we don't want to be that guy. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, the gates of hell... Our culture right now is a form of the gates of hell. When it comes to this individual, this radical individualism, this radical autonomy, uh, will not prevail. And so we seek to stay true to truth. We're glad that you're here, helping us go and move oh, in that this direction. Is, this is fun. And um, I don't know, appreciate your time. Sure. Uh, there's so much more that we can be said. And if you have questions, Ryan, you have. I, I have one question. All this right. Is going back to our last up. episode, there was a certain term that you said that you hated. And it oh was, man! It was the safe space term, but you interjected. What was the term you used instead? Sanctuary. And can you just briefly, or is that is are you is that are you big ass? Are you setting me up? No, Ryan? no, no, no. Because I think because <laughs> like I'm I'm this goes along with uh, the affirming aspect of to earn that sticker to put on your door, depending on where you work, you have to you have to follow through with the affirmation aspect of it, but. Right. 
you know, just that, and if that's too much of an ask, no, we can save that for another conversation. I, I'll, but. I'll do it quickly because I, I do think it speaks to it. I mean, if you got to like, you know, shut it off, close me down, that's, that's fine. Um, I tell my students on the first day, um, that I do not believe in the idea of safe, safe space or that you can go somewhere uh, and be part of something where you can block out uh, audibly ideas that you don't want to hear or visually things that you don't want to see. Um, th that's nonsense. Th that's, that's an environment that is not real. Mm -hmm. Um, however, I do love the idea of sanctuary. Um, in, in terms of, um, not, not a sanctuary in the idea that I grew up when I ever heard the word sanctuary, it was usually, um, paired with don't run in the sanctuary, um, in church because apparently God lived in there. I don't know, but, um, but a sanctuary in say the medieval sense is where you would go to seek protection. And in the world of ideas, we need sanctuaries. And as far as I'm concerned, there are two. One is nearly lost to us, and that is the college classroom. Mm -hmm. It's nearly lost to us. And I'm not just saying in the crazy, radical, you know, super liberal schools, <clears throat> it, it's happening everywhere. The other one ought to be our church auditoriums. But I tell my students, um, my classroom is declared sanctuary for those three hours every week. And that means that there is no question that is out of bounds. As long as they're not attempting to be disrespectful or hurt my feelings or anybody else's. Because if you're trying to do that, you probably succeed. Um, but for those three hours a week, my classroom is declared sanctuary. And I also tell them, and this is going to sound histrionic, but I'm going to keep saying it because I like the sound of it. I tell them as they come in that they are under the protection of the warrior priest. And that is me. They are, they are under my protection. Um, I am the Lord of that room, um, which is ordained by God for three hours a week. And it is there they can ask the questions and I'm seeing the fruit of that right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't give details here. Um, but I'm really seeing the fruit of that. And I, and I take that role very seriously mm -hmm. because, um, I don't go into all this detail, but, uh, sanctuaries just don't happen. Yeah. They have to be fought for. It is war. And, and we need combatants who understand the, the, the nature of this war. Does that answer your question? It does. Good. It does. It, I was just thinking that along the lines of the, the autonomy aspect and what this, you know, our previous conversation with Generation Z, what they're exposed to if they're on a college campus and they see those stickers on doors mm -hmm. and what that doesn't mean. Mm -hmm. And what that right. doesn't mean for the people who don't have those stickers on their doors. Right. And I think you just summed it up very well with oh, good. the sanctuary aspect. I, mean, I love that as the response to that ideology. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't have any stickers on my door, but I also don't have a door. <laughs> they, 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 took, they took it away from me. <laughs> All right. Well, your new Twitter is going to be have to be at Warrior Priest. 
Okay. Let's make it. Let's make it. Get a hat too. I like this stuff. Mm. Fight for it. Thank you, Andy. You're welcome. Thank you for being here and your thoughts. And I'm sure this will generate hopefully a lot of good discussion. I hope so. Yeah. Until next episode, God bless. God bless you guys.